how he gets us we're already on and going yeah so don't, don't <laughs> i feel like i don't even <laughs> i don't even i don't even have the microphone yet are you good we're ready we're rolling already okay awesome yes <laughs> so if you guys didn't guess yet by the our simple uh little introduction i am here with danielle compo mcleod and she is a you know if you haven't heard from her from windsor i don't know where you've been but she's a, a paralympian that was uh the decorated paralympian a couple of gold medals i made some notes there of your medals i can't even see them so but the 100 meter freestyle right 50 yeah. meter freestyle amongst many other ones and that was in 2000 um and now she is an author motivational speaker and has had one hell of a story and i couldn't wait to get you on here so thanks for coming out yeah thank you i'm so happy to be here awesome let's get rolling so i like i would lo just love to know like you know the it, i'm sure everybody asks you this so how did you like end up in the pool like yeah. and and did you know, like, when did you know that you maybe you were different than other kids or your parents know? For sure. So at the age of two, I was diagnosed. So what happened is I have two older brothers. They're five and six years older than me. And this is probably the only podcast that they're actually ever going to watch that I've been on. So <laughs> it's, uh, this is really exciting. Um, but uh, I would fall all the time when I was walking. So my parents noticed that I was different than my brothers in that way. Our routine when we were little is they would run us to the stop sign at the end of the night you know we'd have a bath they'd throw it in our pajamas and off we'd go and I'd take a couple steps and then put my arms up to be picked up and so they were like you know what maybe it's because she's a girl and they'd pick me up and carry me and then they noticed as I'd walk I'd start falling more and so my mom was like you know something's not right my dad was flat-footed so she's like it's got to be your fault she's probably flat-footed like you take me to the doctors and the doctor looked at me and was like no it's muscular dystrophy and this is a whole lot worse than what we thought um, so at that moment my parents just talk about their world falling apart and how do you you know move on from there um, my brothers were really involved in hockey and that for me with that diagnosis started a lot of physiotherapy started a lot of painful treatment and therapy and my parents were like this can't be her road um, and so they put me in the water to do physio in the water and to swim and get those good muscles strong um, and I loved the water and so that's just kind of how it started I wanted to be like my older brothers I played hockey learned how to skate scored on my own net and stopped playing hockey and then <laughs> was like the pool's kind of where I belong and that's where it kind of took off and 
I probably around the age of nine, maybe eight, started to notice that I run slower than the other kids, that I, you know, couldn't do the same things that they did in gym class. But as soon as we went in the pool, I was the same. So it's where I loved to be because it's where I could just be the same as everyone else. And so the pool lets obviously take some strain off the absolutely right, right. Okay. and then so he did, did when did you realize you're really good at swimming like yeah so i would just go first to the pool because i loved it so i joined a local summer swim team and we kind of traveled around different pools and would have little competitions and i was horrible like i i mean i had weaker muscles than every other kid my age so i wasn't great um, but I, I still loved it. Even if I was touching the wall last, I just loved it. And then a coach talked to us about a Windsor Bulldogs, like disabled sports club. And my parents had never heard of disabled sports. And so it took them a little while to adjust, but they brought me out to a swim practice and I got to see how other athletes with disabilities compete and how it's, you know, designed so that a physio test is done and you're swimming against people that are the same level as you. Um, and quickly I excelled in that world. And so a coach went up to my parents and said like, you know, she's a natural swimmer and both my parents don't even like to get their faces wet. So they were like, That's we're still too. learning about swimming. Um, and so, yeah, I stayed with that sports club for a while and kind of traveled Ontario and then I hit quick like once I hit the national scene I was on the national team by the age of 13 and you know had said to my parents I want to go to the Paralympics and so together our family learned what this means and the sacrifice and the training and the goal was to go to the Paralympics in 2000. So you just set that goal and set it? I set that goal and I set it. No, I love that because I, yeah. I think that's for everybody to hear. Like, I mean, if you want to lose 20 pounds, you should set the goal and tell somebody. Absolutely. Right? Like, I'm big on like, you got to name it. You can't just kind of have it hidden in the background. And yeah, you, you set it and you celebrate it. Like yeah. I was like, I will be on the team. And my parents were always like, well, just, and I was <laughs> like, no, no, like this is going to happen. And so I did the things I needed to do to make that team. Yeah, how you say it is how you do it. Too, Absolutely. Right? And like your time, I'm looking at so funny. I've never, I'm a terrible swimmer actually, but <laughs> I did the police fire games. And okay. I did. Uh, it was a decathlon, and one event was swimming. And right. I'm like, oh no, I yeah. gotta swim. So I'm looking at your time. Your was a minute for your world record. Something yes. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. had to do it. In, so the minimum they said was like 145 was maximum time or something right. like to, to <laughs> like to get points. Yeah. I thought I was gonna die. Yeah, like that hundred meters running is so not far compared to hundred meters in the pool. Like I yeah. got to the, the the wall at one. I don't even know how to turn on the wall. I just got to it, touched it, and then right. started to come back. And I was like, oh my god! Like yeah, I, I gotta was go done. all the way back. Yeah. I was done. <laughs> yeah, and it used to be my favorite race because I mean the fifty is great because it's in, it's out, in like thirty seconds, and you're done, right? The hundred you have a little room to kind of strategy and play around and. So I always loved that, you know, that flip turn and you're off to the last, you know, 50 meters. And it was always my favorite race. But um, yeah, it was just, it was always, I loved racing. I loved that competitive drive and for sure. That's, and the, you did the 400 as well? That so I hated torture. the 400. Like, it I was, can't even imagine, no. going, I can't even imagine going 400 meters. I mean, I don't think I ever stood at the blocks and was like, yay, the 400. But my coaches always said, you train and do the 400 because it makes your 50 and your 100 better. But I was like the most angry person in every 400 meters. Because <laughs> no you would flip after that 100 and be like, I got to do this like three more 100 meters. Like this is horrible. But it, uh, in the end, it really is about strategy in that race. And you know getting it's it's still considered a sprint 
for some crazy person who would think that eight laps of a 50 meter pool is a sprint but uh yeah but it was always fun to see you know judge your level of fitness and where you were at and i always used the 400 to kind of figure out how the rest of my meet was gonna go so did you find like from a gym standpoint i'm curious did you find that you put on muscle the same as other like as other kids? I, I don't even know how to say that. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. I'm not gonna try to be political. Yeah. just like <laughs> um, hit me if I'm not. No, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, what would happen is so we discovered through swimming that my muscular dystrophy really affects lower legs and like lower extremities. And is that normal? Is that uh, like, to so? You? There's 160 different types oh of God. muscular dystrophy. No yeah, and so everyone is different, and so no two people will have the same. So. It was difficult to kind of get a textbook version of what right. this is going to look like. Um, but my arms were fine. So I would have really, really strong arms. So I'd be working out my arms a lot and noticing that I was putting on muscles and, and being able to put on muscles. But then my legs wouldn't catch up to my arms. So I had to have coaches that were really smart in how do you build this body because we know muscles heavy, right? So if we put on too much muscles on the arms, then it would be too heavy to pull through the water. So it was really interesting to like work with my sports scientists and my coaches on what is the right amount of muscle. Now did the like did the Canadian like like did the Olympian is that where they come? That seems like very complicated. Like absolutely. If I'm a normal swim coach, let's say from at Massey High School, one of those places that had the pools, this would be unique to me did you have trouble finding like coaches that understood or did you have coaches that had to just go get educated what was how yeah so I had an incredible coach in Windsor Mike Moore moved here down here from Toronto and and coached me to the 2000 Olympics and was incredible at figuring out how to make me be able to access that muscle strength and so he was said to me like you have that natural swimming ability but I got to get your mind to connect to your muscles and it's never going to happen if we try to do it physically so I would literally sit under the water and listen to the swimmers kick and then mimic that sound that I thought and what was happening is then I was getting my legs to move now maybe wow. not moving at the same power as other people but it's how we trained the body to kind of move and then we found like in 2004, I did a lot of manual resistance training and I got really, really muscular, but too heavy. So then we had to like, I remember scale. you were very muscular. Yes. We, like if you guys at the start or might've cut us in or out, but we yes. met at a fashion show yes, yes. years ago. And I remember you were very yes, muscular. Yes, just after I had retired and, and it was, like, was jacked. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was great for like dresses yeah. and going out and stuff, but <laughs> not shows. so great. Yeah. And fashion shows, but not so great for the Olympic medals right. and, and stuff. So yeah, it was a kind of unique balance of figuring out what you could do and, and also really important that I didn't overtrain. so my muscles don't recover the same so I couldn't go home and just sleep it off and get back into the pool the next day so we had a unique balance of figuring out you know what was too much and what was just the perfect strike zone Wow. And so for your parents, I had a, you know the Siddle family yes so I had Mackenzie on here and I, we've become close with their family and uh, I was always curious, like with the parenting, because I want my parents, are my kids, obviously, to do the best they can, and and then seeing it from parents who see that their child might have a disadvantage. Like, did your parents ever? Did they recognize that, or was it just like, like throw you in the pool? Like they obviously recognize it, but did they For acknowledge sure. it to you, or, or they wanted how did they to be pr protective? They one hundred percent wanted to be protective. Thanks to my older brothers, didn't want to be protective yeah. and <laughs> kick the shit. I don't out of your me. older brothers, they yeah, yeah. I can definitely picture this. Yeah, um, but you could probably kick yeah, his ass now. For sure, right? Like they definitely. Uh, <laughs> but my parents were always needed. I had to educate them that this is going to be my world, and you've got to catch up. You got to be okay with the fact that I'm swimming next to someone with no legs, 
or you know this is our world now and I feel like these are my people and this is where I belong and so you're gonna come in and we're gonna teach the rest of the world to feel comfortable um, and they they joined me they mean they celebrated my successes with me and they were right on board of like they could see how much life it brought to me so uh, of course they wanted to you know when kids would bully or say mean things they wanted to be right there but they were always good at helping me find a way to do things and not just solving it for me but you know knowing acknowledging it right shit's gonna be hard they would say and my especially my dad and you know in the swimming world my dad would come up with the best kind of sayings and other parents would be like horrible like mortified that he's saying this to me right before i dive in Hockey like dad meets swimming world right like nobody remembers who comes in second and everyone would be like oh my gosh like we just want you to try your best but for me it's like exactly what i needed to hear so it was like once we got him uh into the world i mean he's still to this day i think if you asked him like exactly what races i swam he'd probably still screw up the name he'd of the stroke the he'd need the whiteboard <laughs> for sure um but totally was like i mean he passed out in the olympics after my first gold medal really? cbc is like recording and they can't find him in the audience because he literally like passed out from the excitement so he says he sat down to catch his breath, but we have video that says otherwise. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Like, I mean, especially that being protect, protective, I'm sure he's even more having two boys and then, and then mm -hmm. a daughter who's youngest. Like, that that feeling, like, even my, my son scores a touchdown or, like, right. you know, strikes out. I'm like, I can, like, feel like I'm barely on my, I'm coaching and I right. can barely hold back, like, yeah. the, the tears or the joy, right? And you're trying to be so, I can't even imagine being your dad in that position. But you must have, like, um, like, in the last whatever this is like you you're a little younger than me but since the 80s to the 90s and you said about getting picked on and stuff the world has really changed and you must have seen a drastic shift in like feeling included or for or, sure for like, sure i mean paralympic movement was huge back in 2000 nobody knew what the paralympics were it was just starting i mean we we as a swim team we tagged ourselves the dream team because we beat the world in medals and gold medals and world records and we let the rest of the world catch up to canada because on the paralympic field we were amazing in the pool so oftentimes we would have to educate people you'd go in to do a talk about the paralympics and people would stare at you like what right and so you'd explain it's parallel to the olympics it's why it's called the paralympics because it's the exact same as the olympics it's just those athletes have a physical disability and now when i go into a school i'll ask the kids you know does anybody know what the paralympics are and they look at you like of course we know what the paralympics are right, right. like the logos right next to the olympic rings we know you know we have friends we have athletes we know we have you know we watch sledge hockey or whatever sport it is so it's been really interesting to see how even as the olympics and paralympics evolve and continue to grow in the movement it's almost like people are reliving those days with me right like oh my god i do remember seeing yeah. that just it was on the lifestyle section of the newspaper and you'd be like right where now would be the head of the sports section yes and yeah yeah and it, it must just like for for any kid or, or parent of a kid or anybody who's in that situation it must give them some kind of like just must make them feel good like regardless if that's their goal for sure or whether not, or not just... you want to go to the paralympics or whether or not you know that there's so many options now in sports or you can walk into a different anything and we can make it that you belong right and that is what's so powerful is that you know 
recently my own son was diagnosed and so knowing that he's going to grow up in such a different world it's just so motivating that you know you're not going to have to kind of push through those barriers i mean we still have a long way to go but we're we're doing amazing as we you know from where we've come from right i i, I can't even i don't even think it's the same i mean i haven't lived it like you but it doesn't even look the same it, to me no absolutely as it, not as it yeah did back then i remember my wife told told me this story and it like brought tears to your eyes she was teaching VIP, which is grade six. Yes. And and they were asking questions, and they, they were allowed to put them on a piece of paper so they didn't have to ask out loud. Okay. But the question was, can somebody with hearing impaired be a police officer? Ugh. And she says, obviously, she knows what kid is hearing impaired in the class, and she can just see the kid like looking like oh, so my excited gosh. for the answer. Right. And like, yeah. what you're doing is providing that kid right you know with this you know kids like that all yeah. these kids with that's that's amazing and that, that must feel good to pave the way like for that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you sit back and, and think of that because I was really just being that stubborn kid that was like the rule at our house was either you had to play in the NHL or go to the Olympics to get a tattoo. So I was like, watch this, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, I wasn't seeing it at the time of what was happening. But now when you look back and you see what you were involved in, it's really cool to see how far we've come. Right. And at a certain point in your life, I say this on the podcast a lot, and I've said it with Irv, is like, you know, my uh, the police department when I was coming to the end of my time in the SWAT team, it became more about legacy, for like sure, leaving things better than it became about you. Right? Absolutely, you, you've, I mean, doing the motivational speak, motivational speaking, the things that you've gone through since, like what we're gonna talk about a bit. Yeah, that must have just changed the way you look at that too. For sure. And of uh, like, what are you, mother of five? What is it? Yeah, there's five of them in total. You yeah. are crazy. I am so happy to and be wh- here right now. Which is why she has a beer. Yeah, but. which is why I'm like, of course I will drink a beer. <laughs> It's 12 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is, I mean, and good for you. That's a legacy is like unbelievable and leaving it better than you found it. Are you still involved at all? Like, do you go back and do you, do you help out swimming? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had, I wish I had more time. Um, I'm like actively engaging my kids in swimming. Cause I'm like, that's like my secret ticket back onto the pool deck. Um, but yeah, I, I still go back. I mean, now our facilities in the city are so different yeah. than what they were that right was my first time in that pool that was crazy they had a, a wall that moved yes like, it yeah. Was wild so, yeah. yeah and so i'm i get back as much as i can uh, for sure and um i'll often have local swimmers that are training that'll reach out and kind of you know if i can give them any tips and help them kind of when they get to a certain point so i, I love being able to do that for sure what was the coolest city that you that you visited for, or, or oh, country, or whatever? Yeah. Of all that, you did a lot of traveling. I did a lot of traveling. Um, I'd have to say that probably Australia was my favorite. I mean, going as a swimmer to Australia and they just get swimming, right? I mean, dominate. Yeah, they they, absolutely. So I'm um, going there, and you know, getting there at first, and nobody really knows you, and then you've now like rocked the gold medal po- uh, podium, and so when you're leaving, everyone kind of knew who you were, and it was really cool, and and they know how to celebrate. We had a really good time after, you know, celebrating those medals. And then my next Olympics was in Athens. So I mean, it oh. was the history of, right? So it was pretty it was pretty cool. The yeah. Home of, the home of the Olympics. The home of the Olympics. That's, yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. The Tecumseh girl partying after a yeah. gold medal can't, <laughs> yeah. can't imagine it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then this past summer. Yeah. So, I, I tried not I said to you before I tried not to read about it just so I could hear a little bit more of the story because it, it was so wild like as soon as I said it to Irv back there behind the camera he 
knew exactly what I was talking about. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I uh, decided. You know, life goes on, and got married, had a couple kids, thought we were done, and we're you know living through COVID like everyone else, and uh, spending a little too much time together. I guess so, <laughs> spending too much time together, and then surprise, we're having another baby, and uh, went through that pregnancy, and just expected to you know complete our family. Found out she was a little girl, and was so excited about that, um, and went in on August seventeenth to have her, um, and then I don't remember anything else after that because the next thing I remember was um, I was on life support and in London, and so what would happen is after her birth, um, I spent twenty one days in the hospital, and I had a complication after complication from a C section and had to have multiple bowel surgeries and then ended up with severe infection and then um, was transported to London as a last stitch to save my life. My parents and brothers and husband were told to come in to the hospital three different times to say goodbye and I was on my way out and uh, they had one chance to get me to London and 10% 10 10 chance that I would survive the trip to London. And uh, yeah, not what you expect when you go in have your baby and you've got a, a three-year-old and a I guess he was two at the time and a four-year-old at home and two older stepkids so it was right. you're a not nightmare the house yeah to these kids, no right? you're saying Obviously. I'll be back in two nights right. like I'll be back the longest I'll be back is two days you're gonna you know everything's taken care of for two days you're gonna be here and then I didn't come home for four months oh my god so you remember waking up in life like yeah, so you're in a medically induced coma. Yeah, correct? so I went into a coma. They put me into a medically induced coma um, when they brought me back into the hospital and discovered that I was in severe septic shock. Um, and my husband describes it as it just became like a train wreck of of a nightmare. Right? It just things happened so fast. Um, and so you guys are sitting there after, and you think things are okay. Yeah. Basically, so you you know you have a baby. You're right. like you have the C-section. Yeah, it was my, my third C-section, so I was like I knew what to expect. We'd go in. You think like yeah, it's you painful. Know, yeah, it's yeah, it's uncomfortable. Nobody's gonna like sign up for that. But right. <laughs> um, yeah, go in and had the C-section and was waiting in recovery and kind of felt now when I think back on it like you know something didn't feel feel right, but not you know nothing that I knew what was coming um, and then as you go through the recovery you know there's certain check boxes you have to check to get discharged and it wasn't happening and right. so what my family says is that you know my mom and my husband were there at the hospital and my mom was worried that it was maybe postpartum because I wasn't really connected to my daughter and um, but it was just I was in so much pain You're being poisoned. I was being poisoned inside, right? yeah and I needed to have more surgeries and so after the very first surgery, my husband was like, I thought we would start, you know, moving forward and things didn't happen. And then I'd start to get a little bit better and then I'd get a little bit worse and then I'd get a little bit better. And then finally, when I was at my worst, uh, they brought me, I went home for a day. They brought me back in a couple hours later and it was just very quick after that, that they knew like things are really bad and we've got a, you know, we've got a, my family's very spiritual, my mom especially, and she was like, I gotta get people praying, because when the doctors come in and say to you, you know, we're gonna take your family into the little room, they yeah. were, you know, they were terrified of, but the reality was they were losing me, they couldn't stabilize my blood pressure and all of this, so it was pretty crazy, so. Do they tell, like, I don't know how, do they tell you, like, hey, we're putting you out? So, like, how does that, I, or your family yeah, don't remember? Yeah, I, I don't remember it. So you're, at that point, That's I was crazy. way too sick oh, to, yeah. to know anything. Um, I did beg my mom to make sure to take care of my husband and my kids 
Um, so a part of me must have knew how sick I was. Um, and just to let them know, like, you know, I want them to be happy. I want them to know joy. I want them to love life even though this happened. And uh, so I promised, I made my mom promise that she'd raise them like that and, and help my husband because the guy remarried and promised to have one more kid and ended up with three and five in total. And now I'm leaving him a single dad. So it was horrible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they were okay. And, uh, then I was out and I don't remember anything. And while this other world is going on, I'm in my own world of this coma, which turned into multiple swim practices. And I, it was just this crazy world of, I was visiting people and, the one of the first things I said when I woke up out of the coma and had the vent taken off was I was really busy and they all like looked at me like what the heck you've been laying <laughs> in a bed forever like what do you mean you were really busy but in my world I was really busy I was back in the swimming pool where people who were part of my swimming career or friends or my brothers were yelling at me you will finish the race, get to the end of the wall. And what we've learned through all of this is at times where like, my, yeah, my brothers were on the phone saying like, don't you effing die on us. And then I, that is what I remember of being in the pool and them, you know, yelling at me. And wow. yeah, so it was pretty crazy once I was able to start talking about like, hey, this, this happened or this happened. And my mom and my husband were just writing everything down because they were like, we've got to go through this. Like we got to remember this to tell you about it when you're with it to say like, Hey, this is what you talked about. My husband was in a car accident when he was 18 years old. And in my coma, I was at the car screaming at him to get out of the car. So when I woke up, I said to him, did you get a car accident? And I started describing the car accident. And like you said, like chills, he's like, that's the weirdest thing ever. Like that happened when I was like 18. How would you like know that? So, then we got to spend this whole journey of like, what the, yeah, what the creepiness is going on? <laughs> yeah, the whole yeah, world of the whole like world. connections. Yeah, yeah and, connections and, and that veil is just so like, you know, I was just visiting people and hanging out while they were all like, come on, wake up, wake up. So like how long does it take you to digest all this stuff that you're talking? Like, are you probably still I still digest it. it. Like there's still things that have happened. And I mean, we go through it pretty in detail in the book because I was like, it's so important that people get to be a part of that journey, right? right? Um, because one of the craziest things that happened when I was unconscious was um, I was hanging out with my uncle a lot and I thought we were at my cousin's graduation and he was just talking to me about you know when you're better and he kept saying that like when you're better and I was thinking like what's wrong with me right but he'd say when you're better it's time to go live your passion you've always had so much passion but I want you to live it and so I was like okay and we were sitting at what looked like my cousin's graduation and when I woke up and was able to talk to my family and I said like where's Uncle Rich I gotta tell him like I heard his message where is he and they were like no you remember he died five years ago and so the like yeah so the experience I was like explaining to them was actually at his funeral where my cousin was reading his eulogy so like that moment was so crazy um and then there was another moment where I was holding this little baby and she said to me like you're gonna rock me and hold me because I'm okay I'm okay and you get to hold me until you get back to Morgan and when I woke up and started describing her it was the exact same baby and dress that my cousin who had lost a baby before I was even alive um like her daughter passed away and so right 
So yeah, that's why you drink beer now because you're like, what the heck happened? But uh, so it's those moments of like, this is a crazy world. Like this is, you know, and my cousin Audrey said to my mom, you know, all I've wanted for 37 years is to know that she's okay. And that was what I was told is I'm okay. And you're going to rock me until you get back to Morgan. Wow. Yeah. Like Irv is super religious. Yeah. I can just see it yeah. back there blown away behind yeah. the camera. I like I have chills right now. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's like, it's almost like the, the you hear about people taking whatever ayahuasca, whatever right. the stuff is. Like the, right. we had the guest in that went down to Argentina and took this, like, it's almost like. These, yeah. Like, I mean, if you would have ever. Do you have problems like realizing like when you, do you have any like memories where you're like, was that real or was that Yeah, for part sure. Of my, so that's what I did for the first coma, like, six months. We still refer to it as coma brain. So. Um, unfortunately, one of the hardest parts is I'll, I don't realize what's missing until it, it happens. So like, for example, my uncle passing away. So there's been a couple family members that have passed away that I've had to unfortunately relive that, that they're no longer with us. Um, or I'll talk about things at first and my husband would be like, no, that that's not in this world. Like that didn't happen here. So it would be like trying to figure out like, okay, what happened where, you know, wasn't I just at your house? Like I said to my cousin Sarah, remember when we were having a tea and she like looked at me and she's like, oh, you're in a coma. And I was like, okay, well, this is what we talked about. Like, so <laughs> it's a little like crazy of how that all, you know, happens and such a different understanding now when someone, people will reach out to me all the time and say, like, I have a family member on life support. What would you tell, like, do you have any advice? And I'm like, talk to them. Just keep talking to them because maybe I didn't hear, like I took it into my own, what I was hearing and my own things happened, right? Right, like, well, you think about it in a dream. Exactly, people, in a dream, it's like, not always the same. And but, you are sometimes dreaming something's happening and then you wake up and it is actually like your kid pulling on your exactly, leg exactly, to wake you up. Yeah, or like it, yeah so, so it's it really, does make yeah, it's really weird neat. sense. Yeah, weird <laughs> sense of like, yeah, and I guess I woke up and one of the first things I also said was nobody shared with me. And that was literally my like memory of being like in this weird world is I saw my grandparents who passed away and they were playing cards and I went to go pull up a chair like I would have done all the time at my grandpa's house and he looked at me he's like you can't sit here there's not a spot for you here yet you got to go that way and I was oh just like God. that's rude like you should share with me <laughs> like that's not like you and then it was this whole like scene just played out in front of me and but he's off saying I, you yeah you're not you can't, you're not, you're not here welcome yet here yet so oh my God. yeah it was pretty crazy that is crazy so now on the back side of this thing have you found that like you you know you've just said so many people that are important to you right have you found that that circle has gotten tighter for sure like for with sure. those relationships but also that maybe you've cut off a lot of others yeah like, i think you just you are so you really realize how quick things can change right and so i definitely don't stress about the little stuff like i used to but i think you you really value those relationships and you know if you make time to have like a coffee with someone or, or have a beer with someone it's because you're in that circle and i want that connection right i want that so yeah i say no to a lot of stuff because my kids and my family are my core right now and i could be everywhere and you know I, i'm thankful that I have a lot of people that understand like you know if i'm doing it it's because i know it's important and it's the right people need to hear that message but that there's a time where i just kind of have to shut it off and and be present with my family right that's kind of something that i think the rest of us can learn from and I'm almost envious of not to have gone through fair, what you went through fair. but my we had a cancer fundraiser a couple weeks ago we have a couple of members here who have gone through cancer or 
you know surviving right now or fighting right now and they have this different air to them now that's just like it doesn't that doesn't matter right like, it's like this very like yeah like if your it, kid shows up it's at almost school like with a socks gift on. in some ways yeah. like once they've beat it and like and yeah. i read something in the the daily stokes the other day about it, and it said that too like many people come out of these things thinking like that was the greatest gift they had because now they have such greater presence and presence is your greatest gift to this world right absolutely yeah for sure like i you know what i really learned through all of this is for me how often we say how are you without even caring what the answer is at the end right it's like a a form of a conversation starter for us but we don't really ever take the time to listen so now i'm like so conscious that if i'm asking someone you know how are you it's because I really am holding space for you to tell me, how are you really, right? Like, you know, and you don't have to get into depth on, you know, oh, this is this horrible thing going on, but maybe it's just, you know, oh, I just needed you to ask that right now. I might not have the ability to share, but I'm holding space for people when I say that. I learned so much from the nurses and the hospital staff that, you know, are so incredibly overworked, but would take that time to connect, right? Like they were my lifeline for so long when my family couldn't be there or, you know, and they would take that moment to be like, how are you? Is there anything you need? And they weren't asking like, you know, how are you? Is there anything you need? I'm running out to, they really did care, right? And in a world of, they've got 48 other people or however many to take care of, I learned that, you know what, that's gonna be my one thing. When I ask someone how they are, and I get out of this hospital bed, I'm going to hold that space to say, like, I want to know. Yeah. How are you? And then, like, the mirroring of the. Right. And why do you feel like. You yeah, know, like, exactly. I feel like that's what you, like, I'm, yeah. I'm working at trying. Like, that's been one of my goals for a while is, like, like yeah. going to, like, the next layer. I find that, too. Like, I go to, like, Christmas is coming. Right. So I'm going to go to Christmas dinners. Right. And you're going to see people I don't see that, you know, are important to me. Right. And you don't have the conversations. It's like, well, what's new? Oh, not much. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. And it's yeah, not, exactly. Like, it's just like falls out of yeah, our mouth yeah. where now I'm like, I don't want to talk to you about the weather. We live in Canada. We live in Windsor. It's going to be gross until the spring. <laughs> like, I don't want to spend, waste our time talking about the weather. I want to really know how you're doing. And life is crazy. And this is our moment to kind of connect. Wow, man, that's good for you. I mean, this is all, I, I love this yeah. conversation's awesome already, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so the book, the book, yeah. which is another thing that I'm very interested in your story, the book. But I'm also interested in the writing. I, w- I was started a book at Herbs to laugh because I talk about this all the time yeah. on the podcast. But I'm always like the challenge of even just writing a book. The, For you know, sure. Like, how did how did all that begin? Anywhere you want to go with the book. Yeah. Like, if you want I to mean, talk about what's in the book, if you want to yeah. talk about how you wrote the book, anything. The book was uh, the third thing that people would say to me out in the community was first, we lit a candle for you. We're so happy you're okay and you need to write a book. And so I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, All right, yeah okay, okay, I'm, I'm working on it. Page for every person. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so I literally sat down at the computer and I was like, I need to write a book. And I was like, hell no, I am not a writer. Like, it's not going to happen. It's, I want to tell my story. I want it to be real. I want it to be raw. And I was like, but my talent is not writing. So I could sit and have a conversation with you forever and we could, you know, get into some pretty incredible places. But if I have to sit and write it to you, it's going to be like, hey, come on over and talk to me. Right. So I was like, that's, that doesn't make a good book if it's only two pages. Right. Um, so I, what it just kind of was divine intervention of how this all came together. I received a phone call from Marty Benito um, asking me to go speak to the MBA students at the University of Windsor. 
he said they were having a really rough time in their semester and with COVID and they just needed somebody to kind of lift their spirits and give them that push they need to make it through to the pro end of the program. So I had agreed to do that um, and that was in January. Um, I did the talk with the uh, MBA students on March uh, 2nd and very next day I ended up back in the hospital. Um, and so through that, Marty was contacting me and saying, you know, I'm getting some of the best feedback from these students that I've ever heard from a speaker just about how motivated they are and maybe it was the drugs that I was on or whatever in the hospital and I said Marty will you write my book and he was just like what and I said I really think you I, I don't know why I'm asking you this but I'd like to meet with you have a coffee and see if you'd consider writing my book and he's like I was an editor like I haven't written in years but let's let's meet and so I got out of the hospital I didn't tell him where I was at that point I got out of the hospital I was doing better we met and had a coffee and he said like yeah we'll just sit and talk just like we are and he was the writer and I just spoke the story um, and it just naturally came together so well um, and it we we joke all the time like it's nothing what we expected but he I would talk and he would transcribe it and then go back and kind of put it together and send it back to me and I'd read it and I'd say to him yeah that's exactly what I meant or change it so it, it's like this a little bit and then right in front of me my life story was coming together and so it taught me that you know I don't have to do it all for sure like I can celebrate what I am good at and what I am not I am not a writer um, but I can still have a book and this is how yeah. we're gonna make it happen um, and so it was really amazing how just that chemistry built and the story came together and people who have read it have said to me it's like I'm sitting in your living room having a drink with you and I'm like that's exactly what I wanted there's not a quote in there that I wouldn't say there's not it's you know really specific to my voice my story and nothing kind of input from the outside so now, did you go did you do this over and over and then he handed you the copy and you like yeah obviously yeah so out, we and you read we, it or did you read it in pieces I read it in pieces okay. um, yeah I read it in pieces and then uh, throughout the whole thing I was still battling with coming getting better and recovering right. so I'd end up back in the hospital and so then he, he wouldn't hear from me for a couple of days so he'd start to panic and Denny my husband would be like yeah she's in the hospital we'll you know we'll keep you updated on what's going on um so some of it we just chatted while I was in the hospital because what else you got to do I'm just laying in bed waiting for this body to do what it needed to do yeah. right um and yeah he'd send me like every every Thursday we would meet um and uh, we'd just talk for a couple hours and then he'd go and write and send it back to me and I'd read it and then let my husband read it just to make sure for facts of because my memory's not right. there right um, and so we'd go through it and then we kind of figured out you know how are we gonna put this all together and timeline wise and it just kind of flowed naturally and so it was pretty incredible from my pro like to go through it and to get to hear my husband's side of the story of you know him being in the hospital and what that was like so it became really healing and it became something that I was like this is absolutely you know I, something I need I need to do this on Thursdays and yeah that's interesting what you say because I know that I was reading in the drive mm -hmm. You said that you want to get some therapy for your your mind too, and I like when I left the police department, I went to get treated for PTSD. Right. Something I put, I didn't think, I thought of just leaving the police department, a lot of those things would go away. Absolutely. It, but the repetitiveness, what they, how they treated me, yeah, was to make me tell the story right. over and over and over, and then made me listen to it right over and over and over, and all of a sudden it stopped bothering me. Right. Which right. Which was like, so it's very interesting that you were 
the book probably without you even knowing was yeah absolutely therapy. for was sure i mean on you're, thursdays you're saying it you're reading it you're you know you're sharing it it's that's that's wild my family stepped up i mean my husband was like you need to go to thursdays like you're a different person when you come home and he was like so you the, like these thursdays are important right they've got three kids under six at home running around and yeah. i'm like see i'm going out for a few hours. like it doesn't happen right but it was important because it was like he could see that by sharing the story exactly like you said telling it over and over I was connecting to different pieces but also bringing it into reality like my daughter was two months old before I held her for the first time you know what I mean so it was living those moments where if I probably didn't write this book it might be 20 years from now where I start living those moments right so it fast-tracked that healing for sure I think there's all kinds of lessons to be learned from your story for anybody because I feel like a lot of times people listen to a story like yours or like about me doing something like with a murder or you know right, like, and they're right. like well my life's not like that but like there's a couple things you said you're one a mother of a bunch of kids right right <laughs> yeah and you're putting time aside for yourself for on sure. a weekly basis so that you can be stronger for that man. absolutely for yourself but by being stronger for you you're stronger for others absolutely you set the goals and you told people about it like yeah. those are all just critical things that i think that everybody should could should implement because if it's helped you get through what you've gone through right like that should lend perspective to like you know my life's maybe those challenges aren't so bad but something something's gonna come for sure you know? like i'm no different than anybody right. else right i don't have any super magic powers or you know i'm i'm so thankful that i'm here um i'm stubborn so when they were like come on to heaven i'm like no thank you i got other <laughs> stuff i want to go this way um but like i like you said i'm i'm not any different i set small goals every day and i give myself grace sometimes we don't achieve what we want to set out and i have bad days like other people or bad minutes or you know and so i'm always like i don't have a secret people ask me all the time what is the secret to success and i'm like it's grit you're gonna go through shit. it's gonna suck but there's always those little white lights in there that you know you connect to someone you smile at someone something happens that you're like that's what i'm holding on to right now so maybe this whole day sucked but there was two minutes in it that was okay absolutely and like your peak stress and the peak stress of somebody else and the peak stress of me we're all different absolutely but the peak is your peak and you don't know the difference so the ceiling feels the same to everybody exactly so like the more you prepare do you do you think that you're you know swimming I, I just joked about the swimming 100 meters how hard it is right like, do you think that that's swimming and the mental the grit that it requires to to hold uh, whatever your your 500 meter however you pace your swims right like hanging on to that do you think that that kind of helped you 100 percent. Uh, yeah I, absolutely and i the think physical part too probably. and the physical part too right i mean i probably had everything against me when i went in with the infection that i did when you looked at paper and i mean still the medical professionals say to me we have no idea how you're alive um but i i'm like i do i i swam through those hard races right i i knew how to push this body and how to just go that one extra little bit right and uh so yeah for anybody that is struggling and is not active that's the first thing like you got to get that body working right because i never imagined standing on the podium holding a gold medal would be the exact same feeling as sitting up for the first time <laughs> or taking my first step right that's, that's a great way to put it yeah, yeah and and it was it was those were my new gold medals and i mean holding my daughter for the very first time or hugging my kids again when i got to see them after four months that was my 
new Olympics, right? And I tagged that in the hospital as this is my new Olympics. And, you know, the nurses became part of my coaching staff and the PSWs. And we would joke about, you know, this is it. This is the goal is, is now to go back to a normal life, whatever that's going to look like. But it was that it was the same celebration. And we celebrated every moment, every step. And that was a lesson I learned is we don't take enough time to celebrate the good stuff. Right, the little steps on the, the, little on the way to the big goal. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would think that's the truth. And so for you too with the like your fitness level, I would think that so if my wife had a C-section, if she ended up in the same boat, uh, she would have an advantage because she doesn't have – like this muscular dystrophy would have put you at a disadvantage right. as like a normal – yeah, for that. sure. So like I, yeah. even more important, like for you that you yeah. had that strength, right? Like, Absolutely. I had my mom take some pictures off of, I think it was off of her Facebook or pictures that she had so that she could show the doctors because everybody would read muscular dystrophy and be like, oh, she has muscular, like oh, yeah. this is as good as it's going to get, right? Like, and even my respirologist in the hospital looked at my family and said like I don't think she's ever gonna get to a hundred percent maybe we don't know what her breathing is her breathing capacity so I want to unvent her she's only at 75 percent but I feel like she's a fighter and I took everything in my body to just grunt and she looked at me and she was like you want to come off this vent and I was blinking like this is all I can do at this point is blink my eyes and she was like well, I don't know about you guys, but I don't need any better sign than that. And so yeah, I was like, get this thing out of here and I will do it. And she's like, it's going to feel like you're drowning. And I was like, well, good thing I'm a swimmer and yeah. I've choked <laughs> on a little bit of water in my time. Like, okay. And I was like, just take it out. And so it was the scariest five minutes of my life. But I knew like they're right there. If you stop breathing, they are right there to help you. And there was no way in hell I was going back on that machine and so slowly you know it worked and the doctor then asked me she was like when you woke up you were so calm like you were just so calm and usually we have to revent people like they wake up and we have to sedate them because they're like freaking out that they're on life support she's like what were you doing and i was so when i was able to talk to her again i told her the vent sounds like a snorkel when it clicks when you're breathing and i was like so i just pretend i was underwater and i know to get farther underwater you have to count longer so each time it would click I'd push it a little longer and see and so she looked at me she's like no one works out on life support and I was like well I, fa I found a way <laughs> so it's like what else was I gonna do so yeah, I've got uh, nothing to do I'm laying here yeah just laying here so I said I got bored of counting the leaves on the trees so I thought I better figure out how to get this thing out of here so it was uh, a lot of lessons that I will use the rest of my life I mean you can't go through that experience and then go back to the person that you were before all of this no for sure so now what like so you say you're not going back yeah now what do you know what the what is what's the big goal? i mean like, yeah obviously sell some books yeah so get, so, you know motivate some people i absolutely um yeah the book coming out at the end of november it came out november 25th and it's doing wonderful so that is so exciting i love when a non-reader says to me i read your book because i am also a non-reader so like i uh i probably have read three books in seven years or something so i'm like i love um i love hearing that that even they're enjoying it um, and people of all ages are getting something from the book and 
And that to me is the greatest gift as I can give back. Like I'm here because of this community. I mean, there was candles everywhere. You know, I can't go anywhere that they don't know the story. And so to me, it's my mission now is that there are people out there that need to hear, you know, to keep on going, to keep pushing through. So I'd love to continue to build my speaking career, to continue to kind of travel around with this book and, and see where that goes and giving back to the community as much as I can. And, you know, we'll kind of, see where that goes wellness is a big deal for me and i want people to be their best right maybe not the best but their best and their so best. i'll keep kind of pushing forward and making that happen well it's like your uncle said yeah now you've like now passion, i'm living my passion you know yeah. when you can work your passion i can tell you that yeah when you can work your passion it's just like it yeah. makes everything comes naturally like when you're when you're it's not about making money it's about you know providing you know yeah. value to other people and, and then the, the money it'll, comes it'll come that, right yeah it'll come and that. we'll you know we'll deal with many different bumps in the road as a family but and it'll it'll come as long as i know that i'm i'm doing i got a second chance someone hit reset and thought you know there's still work to do here so that's what i'll uh, i'll keep doing and i mean look at you right we had jobs that were like this would be an easy way to just kind of sail through but it wasn't you know filling the need anymore and so to give back is what's going to fill that need for me. Yeah, your experiences, your your troubles, your wins, your goals. Absolutely. You know, relationships, they all change. For and sure. so do you. And I think a lot of us are just locked into how we're going to be, yes. you know, at 21. Yeah. Is and how I'm going to be at 51. And it's just not the case. No, not at all. Right? Yeah. So for some people, it's great for them if that's what they want. But for yeah. some of us, it's not. And yeah, exactly. Good for you. Good for, sure. for you and, and man, what this is just an this is like the, I'm fired up about this whole podcast. Yeah. I like, can't wait to go home and talk to my wife about it. Nice. Um, if somebody wants to order the book, what do they do? So they can um, order it. So we are in a lot of places now. So we are at the River River Bookshop well. here in Amherstburg. Yes. So that's very exciting. We're actually going to be there signing this Sunday uh, from one to three, and then we are also in Indigo, both Devonshire and Tecumseh. It's online on Amazon, so you can get it online, or you can go right to DanielleCampo.com. So it's uh, DanielleCampo.com and order the book there. C-A-M-P-O gets me every time. Every time. Every I know. Time. I'm like, I'm not used to having to spell it all the time. But uh, <laughs> And then also out in Lakeshore, it's at Valero Wellness. So awesome. So it can be purchased there. Awesome. And you, you should, you ever consider the Audible part? Yeah. Instead of somebody who doesn't like to read? Yeah, like, yeah, you've absolutely. You've got such a great like way well, of speaking. Well, and, like, thanks. Yeah, maybe I got to get on to that then. <laughs> I don't know what would be involved in that, yeah. but it would be awesome. Yeah, I think it, I'll send you the first copy when it happens. <laughs> I will read it. Don't, yeah. don't worry. I love to read. I love to read. So I will definitely be reading it. Great. And getting my copy. That's amazing. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on today. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to like, no, throw out there? No, just thank say? you. And yeah, no, just keep an eye. And I hope people enjoy the book and get the book. And yeah. Good. Keep doing what you're doing. You're inspiring. It's like just being here. I can feel like you feel raised up. Thank so you. Awesome. You're on the right track for sure. All right. Great. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Now's the time to do more and be more. 